Coming up next, Bookin' It reads, The Last Bell. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Booking It. I'm, of course, your humble and eloquent host, Mr. Cooper Cobbs, and joining me today is my very good friend, Mr. Tanner Lewis. Howdy, folks. Well, right now it's about 9.15 p.m. Uh, our time, and uh, Tanner was telling me before we hit record that it's very fitting for this book that we should record it late at night, because in my mind, the vast majority of this book, at least the part that takes place in Narnia before we get to the kind of heaven place, is done at dark around the bonfire and i think that that's one of the like major tonal things of the book for me is the dark confusing um kind of light you get when it's dark outside and the fire is casting shadows and lewis is really good at getting that kind of confusing um no one knows kind of really what's going on hazy feeling and he does that really well here he does it pretty well at the end of the, the silver chair anyway it's fitting that we're doing a late night recording. That's what I'm trying to say. And uh, Tanner, you said that you had something to say uh, before we get started here. Yes. So first of all, I just got back from work, and uh, um, uh, so I walk in the door and I hear like the most outrageous sounds coming from my family downstairs uh-huh. because our house is weird and you enter in on like a middle second floor. Um. Uh, but I come in and um they're playing uh, um this game called Dutch Blitz, which you Cooper no doubt have heard oh, yeah. of. Um, uh, so they're playing Dutch Blitz and they're like Tanner, just one round, just one round. And I'm like, guys, I promised Cooper I'd record. And they're like, Tanner, <laughs> one round. Cooper can wait. And so me, who's starving and still hasn't eaten, um, is trying to get Cooper to bed earlier. Oh, you know and me. So, <laughs> um. Uh, so I'm like, fine, I will sacrifice my stomach to play one round with you guys. And so we get into this game, and essentially you have to, the starting move is essentially anybody that has a one. And so um, uh, it goes all the way up to ten. So in the starting move, my dad puts out a ten, and I'm like, dad, wait, you're doing this wrong. <laughs> and um, everybody around me is just laughing and laughing and laughing. And um, I've, I've finally I'm like, guys, what's happening? And we're like, they're playing it backwards. And so um, they were trying, apparently they had tried to trick me before I got into, um, uh, bef- like when I got into the game that I was, like, they were trying to trick me and uh, try right, to right. beat me. Obviously. But I beat them. I beat them all. At their own game. Nice. At their own game. Yes. Very last battle-esque. So you haven't eaten yet? Man, I feel bad now. Um, no, I'm, I haven't eaten yet, but it's probably good for me because, you know, I'm slightly hungry after work, but the longer I wait, the hungrier I get. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, I'm glad you won. I'll just say that. Yes, I, I think the satisfaction from winning is going to trump my hunger for the yeah. next few minutes. And a great discussion as well will both satisfy you and make you hungry. So, it's the best of both yes. worlds here. Well, one more thing. Nothing Tanner, like matter- a Chick-fil-A oh, we- Southwest salad to, yeah. you know. Cure, yeah. cure the hunger. They give you a lot of they give you, they give you a lot of stuff over there, Chick Fil A for your for your salads. It's a lot. Yes, they do. I I I got extra because you know being the great employee that I am. Yeah, being being employee. Yeah, come on. Well, then we recently we recently got a review last Monday, uh, and uh, basically they asked us to do Keeper of the Lost Cities. Um, so I don't know if this person has not listened to our episode where we talked about what we're going to be doing this semester or, well, hasn't checked out um, the, the book list, but we are. We're doing it. So We are doing it? Yeah. Oh, right. We are doing yeah, it. We, we're we doing... talked about it. Yeah. Yes. We're doing book one. Yep. Much right. to Cooper's dismay. And I had to say, guys, it was really last resort. I'm like, what can we do that would make sense? that wouldn't take too much time to read so we can all kind of manage reading it and doing the podcast um on top of school and stuff and um and it just kind of was just in my brain it wouldn't go away so much to my chagrin we will be reading and reviewing book one of keeper of the lost cities um if you haven't read it do so at your own peril and um i'm ready to hear don't it read it yeah don't waste your time <laughs> tanner as someone who might defend it is saying don't read it so okay well tanner we're about five minutes in now. But we'll, if you want to know my thoughts about it, listen to the episode. Yeah. 
it's, it's going to be it's going right. to be dense. It's going to be a lot of Tanner dissing the entire book. Okay, um, that's exciting. Well, five minutes in, yes. Tanner. Let's talk about the last battle. Um, any baggage that My you want to talk about? I know that you Narnia came to this as your book. favorite. I think that it's it's from what I can tell you're still your favorite. So maybe talk it's about that and um, kind of your baggage and then why you why you think it stands the test of time here. The final chapter of Narnia and of the book is just the greatest. Um, so seven year old Tanner reads the entire Chronicles of Narnia, and uh, um, uh, we're at this I don't know we're somewhere in northern Oklahoma in our RV. What we're doing, I have no idea. Where we were, still have no idea. My parents don't remember where we were. Um, anyways, um, just this random place in Oklahoma that had, like, a Yogi Bear type stuff. I don't... I can't explain it. It still boggles me to this day. But, we're there. And I'm reading Narnia as my seven-year-old self. And uh, um, uh, as I'm reading this alone, mind you... Um, my siblings were not reading this with me. Mm. Um, so you start break, breaking down and crying, and your siblings are like, "What's going on?" No, it wasn't. It wasn't that emotional. More like I told my mom I finished the book, and uh, it's like it was this huge book. Um, I'm holding up air quotes for any of those. Right, for was, like, was just, it the entire um, Narnia series in one book? It was the entire Narnia series in one book. So me, as my seven year old self, is like, I've conquered the world. Right. Um. Yeah, and I had, and yeah, I had, I had conquered Narnia, um, um, so very excited about that. But to this day, I don't know where we were when I finished it. Hmm. Well, monumental experience for you then. Yeah, I mean, Last Battle has always been kind of the weirdest Narnia book for me, like kind of the most atypical. But also, like I said, the last couple chapters are awesome, and um, Tyrion is really fun. Donkey is really fun, so it's never been. Um, I don't think I don't think it's gonna be one of my favorites per se, but it doesn't mean it's not bad. It's definitely, you know, Narnia is all good, but it's probably closer to top tier. But that means like you know, top four or five, um, personally. But I, I've enjoyed it, and like you said, the last few chapters are pretty awesome. And I would argue, and we'll have this discussion when we get to it, but perhaps the greatest ending to not only a series but a book. Of all time. Um, it's awesome. It's really great. So we'll get there when we get there. Uh, first order of business. Let's see here. What do I have written down? I think it's Tyrion. Um, oh, yeah. One more thing. Like, I love kind of... Tol uh, not Tolkien. Lewis, throughout Narnia, the medieval cosmology. We talked about it over the, the course of, you know, the, the, the series that we've done on Narnia with the, the planets and the medieval cosmology there. But just kind of like the epic um, uh, that C.S. Lewis is telling here. I really enjoyed kind of like the the all the stuff where he's kind of foreshadowing the end, like uh, the second chapter, uh, which is where we meet um, Tyrion for the first time. Um, is he? It, it opens up like this. Um, basically, about three weeks later, the last of the kings of Narnia sat under the great oak, which grew beside the door of his little hunting lodge, where he often stayed for ten days or so in the pleasant spring weather. So from the beginning, he's like saying this is the last of the kings of Narnia, or eventually later he'll say. The last of the kings of Narnia would do this, something like that. So there's kind of the, the he's foreshadowing the very end. He's tying all this, the threads together, and, and that's pretty awesome. So I've, I enjoyed the entire time um, with, with that happening, and Aslan um, kind of ending the world at the very end um, with the things that actually Lewis has set up and the silver chair and even before the last battle. So uh, as a payoff and as a culmination to this kind of epic um, that he's telling, I loved it in that in that sense as well. That kind of stood out to me. This this go through. Yes, I I very much enjoy all of the symbolism in this book. Mm -hmm. It's very 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 thick. Very rich. Um, very rich. Yes. Yeah. I I especially enjoy um the, I describe it as the point in time where Tyrion meets um Eustace and Polly, mm -hmm. and then. Until they all, it, yes, yes, Eustace and Jill. Thank you. It's been a long day, folks. Yes. Eustace and Jill. <laughs> when he meets Eustace and Jill, until the point where they meet the donkey, and that, or his name's Puzzle, right? Yeah. Yeah, his name's Puzzle. 
Puzzle the Donkey. But, like, I enjoy that kind of section of the book. It's just, like, a great... Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's everything I love about Lewis's writing. Just the yeah. the kind of journey-esque and uh, the character building that we get. Learning who yeah. Tyrion is and, like, what he's all about. It's just... It's my yeah. favorite part of the book. Sure. Um, I guess we better acknowledge that my audio quality is better now. <laughs> uh, anyway, my I, I, I have not been recording on my actual <laughs> microphone up until this point, and now I am. So I apologize for how it sounded before, but here we are. It's late night. We're not starting over. I'm sorry, guys. So we'll continue. Well, um, yeah. Let's let's talk about uh, <laughs> Prince Tyrion, Tanner, the the last no not Prince King Tyrion, the last of the kings of Narnia. I have to say, one of the things that's interesting to me about the last battle, and perhaps why I consider it to be atypical when I was younger, is that the book is not really from Eustace and and Jill's viewpoint. It's not from one of the um, protagonists from our world. It opens up with the um, a story of the ape and puzzle. Uh, and then it jumps into Tyrion, and it follows Tyrion. So it's really interesting. Like Tyrion is the main character of this book, really, um, until the end. Like really, this is not Eustace and Jill's book. This is Tyrion's book, and I think that's really the only only Narnia book, really. Where that, that that's the case, right? I mean, I guess Shasta um, is really the exception to that, but he's not Narnian per se. He's more, and he's a kid as well. So there's that. But Tyrion is a really fun character. He's a really honorable character, and you get to really like him at the very end of uh, of Narnia, um, at the end of yeah, well, not just the last battle, but Narnia itself. And so I love Tyrion. I think he's a great part of this last battle book, and I think that's one of the reasons why um, this is such a beloved book between us. Yeah, I really enjoy him. I think he's a fun character, but he always kind of rubbed me off as like, "Hi, I'm Prince Caspian's twin." Um. Yeah, fair. <laughs> I will say, I think Lewis to get around that sometimes for no reason makes him talk in old English, like the these and thous and thys. <laughs> literally, in the same sentence, he'll switch over to you, your. <laughs> Maybe there's some method to there, like he's formally saying some things with thy and thee, and then he'll switch over to be informal. I don't know, but it's just really weird, and he'll do that. He did that in Last Battle as well um, with Rillian. So, yeah, you're right. He kind of does have to differentiate between him and Caspian a little bit. Yeah, it just. Not that it's a deal killer for me, obviously, my favorite book. No. But um like he I just never really thought about Tyrion like as he's always rubbed me as hi, I'm Prince Caspian reincarnated. Yeah. And I've got no problem with that because they're both like young protagonist kings. But you know. Yeah. I mean this is this is Don Treader Caspian as well. This is not Prince Caspian. Yeah, no, this Caspian. isn't Prince Caspian, Prince Caspian is like, hi guys, I'm going to go like dominate the world. Yeah, well, also he's got to kind of have a character arc, whereas in That's true. Um, Voyage of the Don Treader, he's different. He has a different arc in, in Don Treader, but it's more complete. He's already the king. Yeah. So, I, I But I, I do enjoy Tyrion. I do see him as a little bit different. I, my favorite scene um, in the early part of the book is when he and Jill just kind of, the not Jill, Jewel, the unicorn, just kind of go to town on the calendar. <laughs> and... Uh, and at the very, <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> they slaughtered him, dude. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm gonna read my. I'm gonna read my favorite part. This is why I'm laughing. Go ahead, okay, keep talking, okay. keep talking. Okay. Well, anyway, I, I feel like it'll be ruined by what you're about to read uh, and say, but I'll say it anyway. Then they they feel bad about it and they like turn themselves in because they feel that they. Yeah, I'm about to read. I'm about to read right what they. I'm about to read what they said because what they said okay, just. I I can't fi- keep talking. I'm I'm finding it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well. Uh, and that really spoke to me like you're just kind of the th- you've done something in a moment of passion you thought you were doing the right thing and re- in reality you were somewhat justified in doing so which is what Tyrion and Jill were I mean they were basically killing slaves and then you know later on you regret your decision and feel you know like you kind of you know tarnished your honor I feel like that's what happened with like Moses in the Old Testament you know where he strikes down the the um the Egyptian who's whooping an Israelite which is I mean that's the guy shouldn't have been whipping the Israelite, and Moses reacted in the heat of heat of passion. But ultimately, that was wrong, and, and and did not serve the purpose that God had intended. So, in the same way, I, I really relate to Tyrion and, and Jewel in that case, where they just they do something rash, they do something that ultimately might have been justified, but really violent, 
and, and they feel bad about it. And that kind of made me respect Tyrion and gets, you know, just to really uh, gets you to relate to him a lot as well. So, yeah. You found it yet? Yeah, I found it. So, um, uh, they, so they're talking about like how as they don't know how Aslan could have possibly like commanded such terrible things about cutting down right, the trees right. and like just all the stuff. He says he's not a tame lion, Tyrion, of course. And, uh, right. Their favorite excuse. Um, right. I feel like I feel like Lewis has now realized that it's become so meta and so kind of like weird to say that already that he's kind of combating combating that in his <laughs> book already. Yeah, he's like he's using it as like an example of somebody saying that like God isn't three right, people. Like, <laughs> I, I, know, I know that people out there have used this in the wrong way, so now I'm gonna like swat them <laughs> in the face. Right. Here. Yes. Anyway, go ahead. So, um. Uh, He's like, um, they're mur- we're murderers. I'm gonna go give up my sword right. and put myself in the hands of these Calmarins. And uh, Jewel says, "You will go to your death, then." And uh, yeah, just like, I don't know. I always thought this part was funny. Just like their remorse and like, even when they were doing the right thing, right? They weren't doing the wrong mm-hmm. thing in what they were doing, but they perceived themselves as doing the right, the wrong thing, and so. Yeah. They then proceeded to do what they thought was the right thing, but was really just a, like... I mean, yeah, I and mean, that's, that's a good question you make, you, you raised. Like, it, it, was it, what does Lewis think of their escapade here? Yeah. Does Lewis think that they were right to turn themselves up? Um, or does he think that they were just being foolish and stupid? So, I don't know. I, I think it's open-ended. I really do. I do. I do too. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna put my spin on it and say why I think that they were justified in killing them, just real fast, okay. and why I think that Lewis agrees with me. First of all, it is a very dramatic like realization for them, right? It's mm-hmm. not like, oh my gosh, we've. It's not, we've killed people. Let's go like turn ourselves in. They're like, oh my gosh, we've killed people. Like Aslan's done all of these things. We need to go turn ourselves in. It's just so dramatic and like takes so long. For them, it takes, like, a full page and a half for them to, like, fully accept that they've, to, like, be dramatic about how long, mm-hmm. just, like, how wrong what they did was. And so, I think that it's just, like, if somebody had hit their hand and, like, really was just, like, a slight bruise, but they're like, oh my gosh, my hand is broken. That's what it feels like yeah. to me. Well, I, I'm not going to deny. I, I do think that it's more nuanced than they were right or they were wrong. Yeah. Um, I think in this case, Lewis is kind of mocking a little bit their their version of their kind of honor, and I think that he does this with Reaper Cheap too. Like in which is on Treader. <laughs> yeah. Reading it again, there there is some stuff where it's like I don't think Lewis thinks Reaper Cheap is 100% right here. Like he kind of actually goads them into sailing through the blackness, right? Yeah. Which ultimately, I mean, they find the dude in there, so it's all good, but. That part, it's like, I don't think Lewis thinks that Reaper Cheap is all the way right here. And so I don't think that, I mean, the chapter is literally entitled The Rashness of the King. And rashness does imply that they were kind of in the wrong. But I do think you're right. I do think they're being overly dramatic. Uh, and Lewis is, you know, intentionally being overly dramatic in, in the way they portray uh, how they view their honor. And they need to give themselves up and they're murderers and things like that. So I think... I think that he is not. I think he is mocking. You're right. They're a little bit uh, of their dramaticism, but I don't think he views them or views their actions as moral and right. If that makes sense. So I think that's kind of where I'm landing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that yep. once again, it's very nuanced. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not as easy as a right or wrong. That's what's so great about Last Battle. Is, I mean, you you kind of you know that obviously that the the the, the lion um is actually fake and puzzle is really an ape or behind behind it all but uh you're 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 still kind of guessing um a little bit as to kind of what's going on and what the end game is here um if you haven't read them before i mean i can't remember a time where i haven't you know known the ending i guess (laughs) yeah so i don't know what what a person would think like i I actually love to start someone watching star wars in episode one and two Oh and just man! Ask them who they think the emperor is going to be. You know that kind of. Th- it's always one of those kind of things where oh. I have, I have no idea what would it be like to experience this story w- without knowing the end. So last battle is kind of one of those things where it's kind of inevitable that I know the ending, and so I can't read it without that lens. But yeah. it'd be interesting to see 
kind of how the moral questions and confusion plays out to someone who doesn't know the ending. Like starting somebody on the two towers without... Oh, dude, yes. I've always wanted to do that as well. Seriously. I, I'm like, I'm just going to ruin this person's experience and just say Two Towers is the first book and see what they think. I think they would love it. I think they would, too. I think it'd be so cool. Like, with Boromir especially. Yes. Like, oh, man. Boromir dies. How How is this going to play? tie back in, come back in with Faramir later <laughs> and uh, and all that kind of stuff? Oh, man. And then Gandalf comes back to life and... and, and Man. Anyway, yes, yeah, really the possibilities are endless for everything that <laughs> you could be excited about. Okay. Anyways, well, Tanner, that's beside like the point. One or two topics. We got to move on here. Um, oh, I know. I just, I, I, I just had a Tyrion. thing. I just had a thing. So this is kind of about Tyrion, and I'm losing my thought process. I'm losing my train of thought. Um, uh, but um, uh, just uh, how um, uh, like, like this book is kind of the our discussion on um uh, number of the stars um uh, okay. if you remember that discussion like i think one of the oh, questions yeah. that you had for us was um uh, like uh, if it, it was right for you to lie in order to protect somebody's right. somebody yeah, else's that was a life big part of that discussion yeah um uh, and i feel like that kind of applies to the last battle as well like the way that this book is it's like it's it's kind of asking us the hard questions in life, right? We've got these uh, morally incorrect actions on their own, for instance, mm-hmm. lying or killing these people, right? And then we've got right. the morally correct action that it's pursuing, which is justice and retribution right. for the actions that Wrong they've actions. done, right? And so I just mm-hmm. think that's a part of the reason why I like this book so much it's like it ties the most into the real world with what we have to deal with in everyday life yeah i mean not to mention that's kind of direct allegory of as revelation puts it events that are to be that are going to come to pass eventually um so yes yeah okay we're gonna need uh, and i think yeah we're gonna need to move on because we need to get into the final parts where we can talk for like a significant amount of okay, time. So let's let's briefly cover the ape. Uh, I forget his name. Oh, Shift. That's right. Shift. Uh, and Puzzle. I think that uh, they're a very fun, quote unquote, Antichrist uh, picture uh, <laughs> of this kind of sham. Puzzle. And then puzzle doesn't get to go there. Puzzle. Puzzle doesn't no. deserve to be there. Yeah, he doesn't. And he's a fun character from the beginning, and you feel sympathetic towards him, and are glad when he's eventually redeemed. I love how how many people like Lewis arbitrarily kind of redeems because we like them, <laughs> you know. Like we'll talk about later with Don't the, um, the Calamine soldier. Guys, Cooper we just, just like the soldier. Cooper and then he arbitrarily just like makes him appear in heaven as well. Cooper uh, hates so, this you know. so much. Anyway, I mean, I like Puzzle. I think he's a great character. He's a lot of fun <sighs> in this book. I like Shift too. He's a fun character. He gets to be portrayed as ugly later on like the photo with him in the slippers is one of my favorite photos yes illustrations in here because it's just awful so i don't think i have anything like yeah specific to say but shift deception shift very Sucker. don't be deceived yes do you here's my question i've always thought this do you mm. think that he had the plan to like take over the world the way that he was thinking like the second he saw the lion's mane, or do you think that that came later? I mean, I think that he had a good long time to think about it when he was like working on it. And he's like, I can trick people into thinking this guy's Aslan. Let me just, you know, do a train of thought and see how far I can take this. And uh, eventually came upon the idea of, well, I could basically get them to do whatever I want and make some money and go, go in with the cow. Like, I think it just, the dude is already kind of wicked. And then you just give him an opportunity, and you follow the train of train of thought, and I think you'd be shocked how fast it would go to where we got here. Obviously, he got used in the end um, by the the Calamine dude, yeah, who was not in charge at the very end, obviously. But um, yeah, I think I think he just followed train of thought pretty far, yeah, pretty fast. I don't think he premeditated, but um, who knows? Maybe he he dreamed up if if this happened, then 
I would do this, and the opportunity came. So this is gonna have to turn into a longer episode because we have so much to talk it about. Is. It'll be well. How how can we? How can I not? I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Isaiah's the one editing this, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not here to stop. This is <laughs> too great. true. Too okay. true. But wait, Jesus I have and Jill. And, oh, wait, while we're talking about evil people that aren't quite evil, Ginger uh-huh. the cat. Oh, gotta love him. I love this character. Like a very dislikable fun character that's the best moment when he just shoots out of the barn yes and like when he's deaf and like no when he's mute and he's just like oh yes that's awesome screaming it's the scariest thing it was okay this is the only thing i can remember about the blast battle other than i couldn't remember where i was right yeah um uh, like i actually remember that's the only part that I actually remember from the first time that I read it. I was like, "Okay, very." I mean, it's a scary moment. Like it's it, it gets seared in my memory. Yeah. You know the whole idea of um, the dude just you know can't talk becomes a dumb animal, and like that's that's kind of a, it, within the rules of Narnia that Lewis has set up. It just becomes. A scary thing you know yeah just the whole idea of from magician's nephew with established and um and, and and really throughout all the books like the the talking beasts are sacred and the dumb beasts are just kind of you know regular animals um and so the, your, your ability to talk separates you from the normal animals and it did not become there to become a, a dumb animal and to lose your talking animalness is is a scary thing with inside the, the rules that lewis has set up so yeah it's a great moment yeah, it was one of those moments where it's like when you read Left Behind and you like suddenly start like you set down the book and you're like, wow, I better really love Jesus. Well, Tanner, <laughs> let's talk about that, actually, because this <laughs> occurred to me when I was reading Left Behind and not Left Behind, Last Battle. OK, go. And regardless of what your views on eschatology are, which we can totally have that discussion, but this is not the place. We're going to avoid that tonight. <laughs> yeah, we're, you're gonna be hungry for a long time um anyway regardless of that i think that last battle is a better left behind is a better oh 100 like, better end times book not only because it's more loose when it comes to you know interpretation of revelation which left behind is not but the whole idea of it, it really gets the deception it gets the confusion that goes on it gets the uh, all that kind of stuff, and it does it in a way that is, in a in a sense, more fair to the the whole idea of we kind of don't know hundred um, percent what's going to happen in the end times. I I personally believe Revelation is very symbolic, um, so like, hey, what's going to happen a- anyway? I think that it was occurring to me. Last battle is much more accurate and much more. It gets it gets the mood. Um, better than than uh, the bind does, but that's personal. Totally agree. Yes. That so there is a consensus between us on this. Good. I'm glad we are in in consensus because I was going to address it. I guess we need to talk about it now. Like I said, I, I really enjoy all the the kind of end time stuff. Like I said, um, so that was that was, a, that was a good thing that I enjoyed about this book this time around. Yes. So Jill and Eustace in this one um, are pretty fun. I guess I like I like their kind of. Um, you know, Eustace continues his characteristic of trying to do stuff in battle but being pretty dumb and bad <laughs> about it, but having a good heart. Uh, um, actually, and he killed a guy. He killed a man. He killed so somebody. There, he, he succeeded, you know. Yep. Yep. And then you, Jill shoots some arrows. Yes. You know, you've got to uh, love you've got to love Lewis's um, uh, romance, not romance stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're just they're just pals, you know. Yeah, they're just... They're just pals. Yes. And I will say, some of the stuff that I can remember sticking in my mind the first time I read these books was the whole idea of, man, if we die in Narnia, we're going to die back home. Like, what's going to happen with that? You know? Uh, and that kind of stuck in my mind as well. So I like that kind of conflict, as they know this is the real deal. Like, this is desperate. This is They've they've been in dark places, but this is the dark place. So what's going to happen then? I I really enjoyed that that conflict and that stuff in here. Yeah, I also I also think that it's really funny that this act this time they actually died in their world, but they were alive in Narnia. So yeah, I think they would have survived. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's an unanswered question, but I agree. Like, would they would probably would just concentrate to the Shadowlands, or I mean, not Shadowlands, the 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 farewell to the Shadowlands place. Yeah. Oh, don't don't get us there. We're not there yet. Nope. We're not going to the We're onion not. yet. It's it's the backwards okay, let's onion. Let's talk about. Let's talk about really the final kind of battle. Before. This is it, by the way. This is a a very structure structurally interesting book. Um, it has a three act structure, which is the typical set up the conflict, uh, in act one and the characters act two is the rising conflict and act three is the climax and the resolution. So we have the first act is Tyrion and, you know, getting captured and then getting Eustace and Jill. The second act is all the stuff that happens with them trying to get puzzle out and the tower and all that kind of stuff. The third act happens around the bonfire. It's the final battle. Then it's kind of over with the third act and you have like another fourth act where you have all the good stuff that happens afterwards which is the absolute correct way to structure this in my opinion because you have the last battle as the kind of finale but then you have you know the next chapter as lewis puts it at the very end so i really enjoy that but let's talk about the the last last battle the of the title here yes like i said at the very beginning i really enjoy the description of i can just totally imagine it's just chaos there are three groups fighting. The bonfire is kind of blazing down. It's all orange and red. You can't see very well. You got fire glinting off steel everywhere. Dogs are barking and animals are braying and arrows are flying everywhere. And it's just an awful place to be in. And I, it's perfectly described. Lewis is excellent at, in very few words, giving us the entire picture, which. Um, might I say, our dear friend um, John Ronald Rule Tolkien never could quite succeed at um, in, in as few words as Lewis could. So there it is. true. Yeah. Tolkien can't for the life of him write, or couldn't for the life of him write a good battle scene. True. I mean, and, and I will say that the, it's true as well. But like the, just the mood, the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, Lewis is, I mean, Tolkien is always, in, in Helm's Deep, which is really the only, the only big battle that we kind of, we, I guess we get Pelennor Fields as well. Really the only big battle that we get. Um, in to- All in the other ones, he knocks out very... the main character. And then we're done. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Bilbo. Um, but he kind of, he, he kind of takes a very bird's eye view um, of it, quite literally in The Hobbit, but bird's eye view, epic, kind of. Um, <laughs> yes. Position your troops here, position your troops there. In Last Battle, it's a much smaller battle, obviously. But it's it's much much more moody in terms of the way it's described. Anyway, yeah, the confusion, the chaos, all of it's great. I love it. I love the stakes. I love um, the barn. Um, we talked about it with the cat and stuff. So love all that stuff. Yes, for sure. Can we talk about the dwarves for a second? Let's talk about the dwarves. That's a good point. Let's talk about them. Yes, I've always thought it interesting that like. I don't know. You've had glimpses before in Narnia of like the dwarves being like these conflicting, um, right, right characters. They're not men. You have Nickabrick and you have Trumpkin. You have yeah, the bad dwarves, the good dwarves. Yeah, like the very bad dwarves are the dwarves. Mm-hmm. Um, remind me. I don't. I'm getting mixed up with the movie right now. In the movie, they have. So yeah, it was the dwarves did help the White Witch. Yeah. Well, okay. So, okay. So, basically, in, in Prince Caspian, what happens is, Nickabrick is like, and, well, yeah. Nickabrick and, and his friends are kind of like, well, the White Witch wasn't all that bad to dwarves, and they try to Nickabrick's hag and you know werewolf tried to bring back the White Witch. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, just like the dwarves being these. Yeah, they're. They're good, but... Th- Unknowns. Yes, they're the unknown characters. And we finally see that in this section of... Yeah, and that's, that's, that's perfectly paid off here because, like you said, the entire in, like in Prince Caspian, the second book of the series, we have no idea you know, uh, how that's going to pay off um, with the dwarfs being kind of this intermediate character. But in the last battle, you definitely need a whole like, kind of major group where it's like we don't know... How they're going to turn out. They're a wild card here. And the dwarves are excellent at doing that. Yes, they definitely are. And like they're, they're stoic. Their stoicness. Stoicism. How do you say that? Mm-hmm. Stoicism. Stoicism is just like concerning. Right? 
makes you examine your own heart. Yeah. You're like, am I really like, am I really that protective of my like of everything? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's impactful. So I always I view them as kind of like the the lukewarm, um, I don't know, maybe lukewarm agnostics who are just kind of like mm, I don't really care. The lukewarm Christians, even like you could even yeah, go true, there. That's true. that's the scary part for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like, will you be the what's the guy's name? Um, the dwarf lives the P, I guess. Uh, I forget. Poggin. Yes, Poggin. Are you gonna be the the guy who actually stands up, um, instead of giving into peer pressure? Or are you gonna be the guy who's kind of like going to your own group and just kill both sides? By the way, that's one of the most haunting moments in this book for me. Yes. Is when the dwarves shoot down all the all horses. Of, no, it was the it oh, wasn't man. even the horses. It was the dogs, Cooper. It was the Oh, was the dog was the dogs? It was all of the dogs. No, I think it was the horses. Because like you hear like you you're, you the battle is kind of paused. You hear like a stampede, and you're like, oh, the horses are coming, the horses are coming. And it's about to be this big, you know, the eagles are coming moment from Lord of the Rings, and then you just hear twang, 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 and uh bye bye. Yep. That could be. The dwarves are for the. Oh, wait, here it is. Here it is. Yep. The dwarves um, are for the, the dwarves. Hooves, with tossing heads, widened nostrils, and waving manes, over a score of talking horses of Narnia came charging up the hill. The gnawers and nibblers had done their work. Pog and the dwarf and the children opened their mouths to cheer, but that cheer never came. Suddenly, the air was full of the sound of twanging bowstrings and hissing arrows. It was the dwarfs who were shooting, and for a moment, Jill could hardly believe her eyes. They were shooting at the horses. Dwarves are deadly archers. Horse after horse rolled over. Not one of those noble beasts ever reached the king. Yeah, that's the, the sk- it's, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's the dwarves are for the dwarves. May we not be that way. May we not. May we not. And um, I think that that part in uh, the last couple chapters is great too, where they just kind of refuse to see what's right in front of their eyes. Yeah. Just Lucy's like, wake up, open your eyes, like look around, and uh, eat this, you know, like eat this fruit, and like, what are you trying to shove horseman in my face for? Gosh. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I agree. It's scary, and like I said, I think this is much better in terms of Lucy is excellent at providing us just clever parables, situations, problems, whatever, um, whether it be like the bell or the apple and the magician's nephew. Um, or you know the book and and Don Treader, and here the dwarves is just kind of little applicable lessons, not moralistic parables, but like you know nuanced questions that are like, hey, you know here's a problem to apply to to your life really. So I think dwarves are another example of that, and a long long list of excellent examples. Yes. Okay, well, Tanner, we're not quite to the end, but let's talk about Tash. This is the the precursor yes. to our universalist discussion. So, obviously, when reading this book, I was on high alert of anything that might clue in, clue me into Lewis's beliefs on, uh, you know, admitting it, what happens with the do at the end. You know, universalism, if you want to call it that. And he makes it very clear that throughout the book, with the confusion between Tash and Aslan and them being the same things, that Tash is not Aslan. That Aslan is not Tash. And that's another good part of the book, by the way, when the Calamines call on a god they don't believe in, and who knows, Tash shows up, and uh, the demon and the devil, and uh, basically carries them away. So I, I kind of like that when it happens when, when people call down demons they don't believe in and then actually get them, they're terrified. But anyway, I digress. Tash is not Aslan. Um, is there anything you want to say about kind of the Tash stuff before we move into the discussion on... The Calamon being admitted into heaven. Tash. Wow. Um, You kind of dislike him and the horse and his boy. Or you're unknown about him, right? You kind of just shove him off as like this deity that has some sort of power you learn at the end. Right, and and he's never denied as being fake. Yeah. Ever. Even the horse and his boy. Yes, definitely. Like, people know he exists. He exists. That's right. not it's not under question. So just yeah, the the section of like when you see Tash flying to the stable, just the mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the terror of that. Yeah. I think the I think the Tashland thing was really interesting, like all of the discussions that they had there. And uh, um just the bear the bear and his innocence. Innocent gullibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the questions that were asked there were very very good. Too many to get into right now, but Yes. Very good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, we talk about it in, in uh, Horse and His Boy as well at the very end. Like, you you appeal the Tash, and so uh, I hand you over to him. That's kind of the, the, the thing that we get here as well, which Lewis understood. He got this part correct. So. Yes. I guess that moves into the discussion of, I guess... We got so we got the guy. His name is Emmeth. He's a Kalaman soldier. He is set up to be likable. Everybody likes him. Nobody wants to see him go into the barn. He does. And uh, later on, when, when our heroes are kind of walking farther up and farther in, they meet him. He's made it into heaven. And we have this conversation with, with Aslan. So um, basically they tell a story. And uh, it's a pretty long story, so I, don't, I won't read it all. But he doesn't—he doesn't like Aslan. He served Tash. Um, it's my great desire to know more of him, but the name of Aslan was hateful to me. Um, and so he wants to go in because he's a—you know—he's a, basically a zealot for Tash, essentially. And um, anyway, I want to read this part. He's talking to Aslan. Okay, this is ch- the chapter farther up and farther in. Page 188 in my book, but this is where this is what he says. So I went over much grass and many flowers among all kinds of wholesome and delectable trees till lo, in a narrow place between two rocks there came to meet me a great lion. The speed of him was like an ostrich, his size was an elephant's, his hair was like pure gold and the brightness of his eyes like gold that is liquid in the furnace. He was more terrible than the flaming mountain of Ligur, and his, in beauty he surpassed all that is in the world, even as the rose in bloom surpasses the dust of the desert. Then I fell at his feet and thought, surely this is the hour of death. The lion, who is worthy of all honor, will know that I have served Tash all my days and not him. Nevertheless, it is better to see the lion and to die than to be Tisrock of the world and live and to have not been him. Sorry, I've seen him. But the glorious one bent down his golden head and touched my forehead with his tongue and said, Son, thou art welcome. But I said, Alas, Lord, I am no son of thine, but a servant of Tash. He answered, Child, all the service that was done to Tash, I account a service done to me. Then by reasons of my great desire for wisdom and understanding, I overcame my fear and questioned the glorious one, and said, Lord, is it then true that as the ape said that thou and Tash are one? The lion growled so that the earth shook, but his wrath was not against me, and said it is false, not because he and I are one, but because we are opposites. I take to me the services which thou hast done to him, for he and I are of such different kinds that no service which is vile can be done to me, and none which is not vile can be done to him. Therefore, if any man swear by Tash and keep his oath for the oath's sake, it is by me that he is truly sworn, though we know it is not, and it is I who has rewarded him. And if any man do a cruelty in my name, then though he says it by the name Aslan, it is Tash whom he serves, and by Tash his deed is accepted. Dost thou understand, child? I said, Lord, thou knowest how much I understand. But I also said, for the, for the truth constrained me, yet I have been seeking Tash all my days. Beloved, said the glorious one, unless thy desire had been for me, thou wouldst not have sought so long and so truly, for all find what they truly seek. And that was kind of the end of the conversation with him and Aslan. So, Tanner, do you offer up a defense for for Lewis here? Or would, would just give me your thoughts, your take on this this section. I had a defense, and uh, then you continued reading, and then the defense just went out the door, and it's just gone. Um, uh, but here's my only take. Um, uh, I think... I do not believe in universalism. Let's nope. no, nor do I. That's the reason we're having this conversation. Let's set that out on the table. Um, uh, and here's the thing, Tanner, and I want to say, I don't think Lewis fully believes in it either. I agree with that. Here's what I think he's, I think what he's trying to cover is a very tough topic, and uh, mm-hmm. he just failed to do it in a way that is yeah. entirely theologically accurate within the story. I agree. Um, That's the problem with just his allegory in general is... He tries to kind of provide a handle, and like we said, sometimes it's awesome, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's just not really what happens. Yeah. Like, if we really did break down the theological implications of the stone table 
and Edmund stuff in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it would probably not be theologically sound. But it's an allegory, so it doesn't need to be. Um, not necessarily, but I think not necess- you could argue he has somewhere crossed the line here. Yes. It, I think this was a simple misstep, in my own opinion. Um, uh, yeah. I think that he's trying to cover... Um, so, my mom is obsessed with this book called um, uh, um, uh, Seeking All of Finding Jesus. Okay? Right. My mom is too, yeah. Yes, I think I think they shared this enthusiasm. I don't remember who was the catalyst for it. Um, uh, yeah, chicken or the egg, who knows? <laughs> I know, right? Um, uh, but I think what he was trying to cover is essentially this idea of, like, you're seeking to find truth, right? I think that Emmeth, I think what he was trying to do was sim- display Emmeth as this guy who was seeking to find truth. And uh, right. in his seek to find truth, he found Aslan, right? His misstep right. was putting him in, was like, air quotes here, like, killing Emmeth, right? When he, mm. after he had had that conversation. So Emmeth was already, once again, air quotes here, dead. When he met Aslan, right. and so it doesn't work. So I think that I was, that's my that's my thought, right? That's my initial thought. Where my argument breaks down is when um he's talking about like all oh, every good work that you did in my name, like if you did a mm-hmm. vile thing, that's. I agree with that, to some extent. I agree with the vile thing. Yeah, and I think that actually this is where your argument does kind of work too, and I think that it might be the case. Like I said, at Lewis is very clear. Aslan's not Tash. Tash is not Aslan. So, you can't do that. I don't think he's a universalist because of that. I think what he missteps in is in trying to communicate the idea that someone who is not a Christian can do something that glorifies God. Um, can do something that honors him. Um, and, and even though he might do it in a, by for a bad purpose, he does it and, and, and inadvertently glorifies God. Now, that's a statement that we could have a debate over, and I think I would probably agree with, but the way he presents it, and like you said, presents it in heaven, just kind of like makes it all seem faulty. Yes. So that was just... And like we said, we can even have a conversation about like you know people who've never heard the gospel, who are in some jungle in Africa or in the Amazon, and they pray to like this wind deity or whatever, you know, the, the, the great spirit, whatever, and... Is that person worshiping God or not? Is that person worshiping Tash or not? You know, we could also talk about that, um, and he may be trying to cover that as well. But either he fails at what he was trying to accomplish, which is good, pretty miserably, or he was just wrong in the first place. So either way, I don't think he. It's a good section. I but, don't. I don't think so either. Yeah. I. I step gingerly in this area, and I. Yeah, I agree. I you should. I kind of just avoid it for the most part. Yeah. Which is not exactly an admirable thing for a reader like myself, but um, I just I enjoy the book so much that that's like the one bruise on the apple. Just chew and spit. Yeah. Just chew and spit. Exactly. It's the one bruise on the perfect apple. So. Yeah, and like we said, I think with a lot of the incongruencies in in Narnia, if we had a conversation with Old Lewis over a pint in the pub, then we might agree with him. But yes. the way they're presented. Just strange. Everything Okay, Tanner. everything makes sense oh, with ahead. an explanation. It does. It does. Well, we're gonna we got the, the, the death of Narnia. I like the kind of callbacks to Charn with the, the son. Yes. The father time from Silver Cheer, we get that stuff. And then we have the final the final chapters. Farther farther in. Excellent stuff. As I've said earlier, the stuff that reminds me, even though I haven't been rem- never known it before, of heaven. If that makes sense. Yes. Like, just the cl- what I believe is the closest I can understand heaven um, on this earth until we experience it for real. So, yes, Luz is great at that. I love his backwards and, uh, onion, though. Like, the backwards onion of yeah. it. I just love it. Kind of the inverse Devon, Don, uh, Dante's Divine Comedy, the inverse of that. Yes, like, every time you go in, it gets bigger. Right? Yep. It's just, I don't know. Yep. It's bizarre. It's like it makes absolute sense. And like for it to be anything different would just be weird and contradictory. 
yeah. yeah. Crazy stuff right there. Anyways, the last portion of the book. Yep. We meet Reaper Cheap, who comes down from literally coming down from the mountain. <laughs> oh yep. man. That's when you when you meet the best side character coming down from mountain, you know the bu- the book's hit its pinnacle. I might argue next episode that Puddle Glum is better, but that's just me. Reaper Cheap's awesome. Cooper. When do you see Puddle Glum coming down from the mountain? Did you see Puddle Glum coming down from the mountain? Yeah, I know. I know. We'll talk about it next episode. we got to wrap this up. <laughs> Anyways. I just want to read the last paragraph The last paragraph. Yes, I'm, I'm looking the at it. The best ending. Yes. Agreed. I want this as, spoke, I want this as the to- on my ahead. tombstone, by the way. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'll remember that. And as he spoke, he no longer looked at them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. We can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they are beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And there we have it, folks. The end of the Chronicles of Narnia, the end of the last battle. And probably the greatest ending of any book in literature, arguably. Irrefutably so. is more like what you should say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I would say irrefutably, but one of the best for sure. I I contend that it's irrefutable, but if you were to refute okay. it, that would kind of... Yes. All right, Tanner. Well, we are here. We are dangerously close from doing the longest episode of all time. Um, I think we're gonna skip donor shoutouts because it's late. You're hungry. Oh. But patrons, we love you. We do love you. Please go to patreon.com forward slash booking it to support us. Five dollars or more. Leave us a five star rating and review. Um, to show us to show how much you love us. Uh, because we are desperate to give your love. No, that's, that's I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> that's not true. But we we would love it, and it's very heartwarming to see. All of you have left, have, who have left wonderful reviews. It makes our day. Seriously. It also keeps Tanner from having to do friends, these late night recording sessions because he doesn't have to go to Chick-fil-A. True. Exactly. <laughs> Pay Tanner more, we get better content. Too true. Um, Too true. Anyway, we'll see you guys next time. We'll do a recap summary. Um, looking back, we'll rank some things, have a fun discussion. Isaiah will be on. Everybody will be on, I promise. It'll be the capstone to our epic discussion of this epic series. Isaiah's going to have a lot of fun um, editing this, so I'm looking forward to seeing his text when he sees how long these are. But it's going to be comical. We'll see you guys next week. And until then, keep on booking it.